you know, if you've got something you'd like to see from a company, reach out to them because especially if it's a low cost, easy change, mm. your voice speaking up represents, a, depending on the size of the brand as well, represents a hundred quiet people as well. And brands are aware of that. So it, it always, it gets heard and it's always worth doing. Hello and welcome to the Plant Paradigm Podcast, where we have inspiring and insightful conversations with incredible individuals from all around the world and look to inspire change within us, within other people, and create systems for clean, green developments for the future. I'm your host, Tom Simak, a fellow plant eater and athlete who strives to optimize every living ecosystem. Passionate about looking after this beautiful floating rock we call home and all the lovely creatures that dwell among it. Today's guest is Tony Corrales, an entrepreneur and founder of NoSkin. Tony has worked with Peter in the past and has since taken his business skills into ethical entrepreneurship. Today, we're going to be talking a lot of things that surround and intersect the relationship between business entrepreneurship and being ethical, being vegan, being conscious about climate change and sustainability. This is, I believe, a very productive episode and maybe asks more questions than answers. I think that this is one to strap on and feel like you are joining uh, amongst the table with us two. That being said, enjoy this productive and insightful conversation between Tony and I, and I'll see you on the other side. Tony, hey, welcome man. to the pod. How are you going? I'm good, man. Nice to have you here. How are you doing? Oh, very good. This is actually a really beautiful place. I love that you have plants. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's a vegan thing where you just have like lots of plants everywhere. I think it. I think it's a vegan thing. I think it's a hipster thing. A little bit of both. But, a little uh, bit of both. This is actually. This is a lot less than it was in the last place. Why? But, Why have you reduced your plants? Because <laughs> well, there's quite a lot of green outside of the windows, which obviously anyone listening to this can't see. Um, but yeah, it was. It was. It was getting a little bit excessive. We left a few behind. Gave a few away. It's mainly my wife. She's a bit obsessed. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. Well, anyone should be having plants in their house. It's absolutely beautiful. Sure. Uh, today, I was really excited to talk about all things like business, ethical, um, I guess, moral compass kind of things. Yeah, great. We talk a lot about climate change on the show, environmentalism, sustainability. And when it comes to businesses, I tend to sometimes go on rants yep. because I'm, I'm undecided on a lot of things regarding businesses, especially because we live in a capitalistic society. Yeah. Um, and one of those things is like, what does the intersection between ethical and sustainability, where is that when it comes to business? Like what is that middle middle line? What would you define as like a sustainable business model? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one. And it's funny because, you know, a sustainable business model literally has two two meanings. Um, It's a sustainable as in the business can sustain itself and can keep going and keep operating. And it's sustainable as in the impact it has on the environment. And the tough thing is, is a lot of the time, those things can, you know, you try to be more environmentally conscious and that can be detrimental to the bottom line of a business. So I think it's finding somewhere in between where, um, you know, you can keep operating as a business, especially if you're a purpose-driven business, which is a lot of what I talk about is businesses who actually care about what they're doing and they're trying to make a positive impact. It's finding that point where you can have positive impact but you're not getting, you know, you're not getting hindered by the fact that you're trying to do so. 
because it's and when all, you mean hindered, it's like affecting your profitability and the way you can pay your employees and stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, there's there are a lot of brands out there who are. Um, is that bird? No, that bird through? is beautiful. We like, <laughs> we've got a partner there. And, you know, everyone loves nature. We can't. You know, we talk about wanting to instill nature in part of the world and where we are. We can't be blaming birds coming in and making little sounds. It's lovely. True. Cool. Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, there's a lot of businesses out there who are trying to do really good things. And take Patagonia, for example. They get talked about a lot. Yeah. And, you know, we could, Did you hear that they got donated to, to yeah. it? Oh, so cool. Exactly. And they do a lot like that. But to get to that point and to get the size they are and to be able to have the impact they've had, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have done everything at every step of every choice a hundred percent perfectly because it just wouldn't have been sustainable for them well, what do you mean like what choices do you think they would have made that aren't perfect what do they look like well take into account something like manufacturing yeah um, you know let's say patagonia are manufacturing jackets now taking this and you know this is a perception of mine i'm not speaking for them i don't <laughs> yeah. you know unfortunately i don't know the full ins and outs of their business but they have down in their jackets so from my perspective i don't i don't agree with that i don't want mm-hmm. them to use an animal product in their clothing but the mass market especially 10 years ago would have seen the only way that they can have a jacket that's quality enough or is performant enough for them is to have down in it so for patagonia to get to the size that they are now where a lot of people would agree they've had a very good impact you know people are going to be buying product regardless Mm -hmm. and at least patagonia are doing something very good and showing themselves to be genuinely ethical a lot of steps of the way yeah now if they'd said we don't offer down because we don't agree with that would they have been able to elevate to the point they're at now and actually make such a great mm. impact or would have people have been like well i'm going to go and buy from the north face because they do down i don't care about all the other good stuff you do patagonia you haven't got the product i want so for them on their moral compass that was a compromise they were willing to make now me and my business that's not a compromise i'd be willing to make because i first and foremost our north star our thing we do is we don't use any animal products we're a vegan company mm-hmm. now in our footwear we do use and you know our kind of put myself into a line of questioning here, but we do use uh, microfiber polyurethane for our footwear, which is not a particularly environmentally friendly material. It's still, what is what is microfiber polyurethane? That's a that's an oil derived... An oil derived, petroleum derived yep. material. Effectively, and I hate it, it's because it makes it sound cheaper and not as effective. It is a plastic in a sense. Like mm-hmm. it's a, you know, exactly as you say, it's an oil derived material. Um it's extremely performant for footwear and as a vegan boot alternative material, it's the best that there is at the moment in terms of durability and performance, um, you know, an actual construction and also the price in which we can make it for. So what is the alternative that isn't vegan? I've heard it's like Beetlejuice or like I've heard these different things, but what is actually the thing that's, so I heard it's in like Converse's and what is the material from that's animal derived? Well, it depends. So in our case, when we're talking boots and things, it would just be the leather. So it's the, right. we're not using leathers. I mean, if you go into things like, you know, for example, we do a sneaker, which is a Converse-esque sort mm-hmm. of sneaker. Um, you know, you'll find in a lot of companies that make those kind of shoes, the glues have got animal-derived materials in them and things like that. It can often be like literally melted down horse hoof and things like that into glues so weird yeah it's yeah. just okay. it's one of those weird things it's like in beer that you know beers get filtered through 
um, fish bladder in certain Do they process. really? Yeah, in I heard food. like wines have like some eggshell filtering or something. Yeah. Some wines do. And there's know. a lot less yeah. of this now. Yeah, like I think, um, you know, if you take a... If you take a beer like, I think Foster's, yeah, yeah. at least in the UK, Israel, like Foster's wouldn't be classed as a vegetarian beer because of that really, like, because of wow. that reasoning. Wow, okay, yep. Then anyway, complete tangent, but point yeah, yeah. being in there is that, you know, going back to the Patagonia example is they made, now that might have been no ethical compromise for them at all. They might have been like, well, we don't care. We're going to use down. That's not even on our moral compass. It's not on our ethical radar. Mm. Um, but I'm sure in, within the company, they're like, is that, you know, is that something would we we want to use? Or they might have been like, hey, from our perspective, using down is totally better than using a synthetic material or a synthetic alternative. So they'll make those decisions along the way. But point being is there will have been decisions along the way where they have to go, do we, use, you know, do we manufacture in China, for example, which a lot of Patagonia stuff is done with, where yes, they may have factories that they've got the right certifications and right things like that, but you know, there are still some gray areas or still some sort of dark spots in knowing what's happening in Chinese manufacturing, or do we make everything in the US? The reality is it's so much more expensive to do it in the US, or at least it would have been, especially with Patagonia Mm -hmm. in their time of growing. So making those decisions allows them to grow and grow as a business until they get to a point that they're now in a position to have some like really positive and massive impact. But if you stifle businesses when they're in their early stages and come to, um, <laughs> hey, mate, and come to, you know, and really try and shoot down, like, you know, I understand that people will come to us and question us about using microfiber for our footwear. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we're starting at the moment prototyping and experimenting with Miram, which is a plant-based leather mm-hmm. that looks to be as performant, as durable, way more environmentally friendly. Yeah. But at the moment, it's super expensive. So we're playing with that. We're trying it out. But, you know, do people want to buy a boot for $300 from us, which is still quite expensive, or do they want it to be $450 because it's a massive extension of the cost to use this other material? It's like we have to grow with what's available and people have to have patience as we find that, knowing that, you know, take Doc Martens, for example, who make a vegan boot. Um, They're using... You know, they're using a microfiber material, same as us. Do they care about trying to use Miram? Do they care that microfiber is not the most environmentally friendly option? Whereas, you know, we're really actively trying to get to that point. Mm. So support brands in their early stages, even if it doesn't look perfect, so that they can get to that point of making greater impact down the line. Do you think brands then have a responsibility to be fully transparent in saying, we are striving to be sustainable. This is where we're not perfect and this is our future or our vision. Or should brands have then the ability or the ethical ability to say we are sustainable? Like that, you know what I mean? Do they say they're on the journey or they're at the destination? I think it's a really good question. And I like the transparency around it is a really interesting point. Um, it's kind of twofold. I think, yes, transparency is good or not so much like, hey, the company, it's your obligation to do this. I'd say I, I really don't often like to say that things fall onto the consumer rather than the company. I think the company has a responsibility. But I think... Can, I, can case, I zoom in on that for a second? Yeah. Why? Um, because 
at the end of the day, if you're a company and you're providing a product or a service, you are in you are in a capitalist marketplace where you've got competitors. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing because it means that you have to come up to the table and you have to change what you're doing. It is the responsibility responsibility of the company to read the market and understand what the market wants and then, you know, meet their needs. So, and in a lot of cases, you know, that's the way and that's come through. If you take coffee, for example, now a lot of people might not like Starbucks, they want an independent. Mm -hmm. But in a way there, what happened is coffee before Starbucks was a couple of dollars, you know, it's a local... And I'm coming from England, so I'm, I've got that in my head, like a greasy spoon cafe that's doing like beans on toast and a cup yeah, of yeah, coffee. Yeah. It's probably instant coffee half the time. If you're like passing by there and going through a cafe, you're probably getting a like scoop of Nescafe and yeah. some hot water. <laughs> and then Starbucks comes along and, you know, has this, this massive monolith organization and changes coffee culture because it had the vision, it had the funding mm-hmm. and it had, you know, effectively the over time, the global influence to completely change coffee culture. So you've then got now, when you walk down a Melbourne high street, some of the best coffee in the world, but that's because Starbucks made other companies. So now we've got a responsibility to up our game. If we want to compete in this market and Starbucks are over here offering this, we need to offer something to the market. And that's where the company is taking the onus of responsibility. Like a cup of coffee from Starbucks, you know, let's say it costs six, seven bucks, quite expensive if you go to a Starbucks compared mm-hmm. to somewhere else. But they've done everything within their branding and their marketing to make people want that. Like you can make a cup of coffee for 20 cents at home, but people, especially, and again, like when that took over and it's not as big in Melbourne, but walking around London, everyone's got to get their cup of Starbucks and put it on their desk at work because they built that culture. It's they a, built that brand. What's that word I'm trying to think of? I'm totally blanking right now. It's a like why people buy Gucci. It's, it's a status a, symbol. Status symbol. That's right. Exactly. So Starbucks turned coffee culture into a game of status, not just here's a, you know, here's my caffeine fix and a cup of, cup of coffee. And that completely transformed an industry, but it is the responsibility of the local cafe next door to see what the market is now demanding and meet that demands. Now, sometimes what the responsibility of the company is to do then is to see the counterculture. And that's what happens a lot as well. It's like, well, hey, if Starbucks are charging six, seven bucks for like this mm-hmm. glamorous coffee where it's like a venti double mocha syrup, you think like this and that. <laughs> we do black coffee and it's three bucks. There's a market. Like yeah. they've taken the responsibility to find the counterculture, but that falls on them. The consumer wants what they want the company has to adopt that. So with the the counterculture, I find that's a very interesting point. So I feel like, and this is my perspective, it has almost become a status symbol to be sustainable and environmental friendly. So will there be, or is there a counterculture that says we are unsustainable? Yeah, interesting. I hope not. There is like climate deniers, right? There's the culture of... It, I would say at this stage, it's cool to be a, a climate activist or it's cool to yeah. care about that stuff. But there is a, a, a opposite where people think, you know, screw the man, screw what the populace thinks. It's the opposite. So I wonder if that can be transmitted to like ethical business models that say, you know, 
we're donating X amount of our profits to this charity, 5% or whatever it is, because we care. And to someone who says, like like Gucci, for example, maybe they don't do that, but they don't advertise it, but it's still, people know that they're not the ethical choice, but that seems to be still desirable. Yeah, it's a really, it's a weird one because I can almost see that happening. And we do see it sometimes more in, um, with vegan culture and vegan product. So, and thinking of food is like, you know, you might see a meme of it or someone thinking it's funny that they've got a butcher's or something and it's, you know, they might put, oh, like the anti-vegan butcher or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they'd be more creative than I was in that case. Um, (laughs) But at least I'd hope so. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they're actually making a point of demonizing this like evolution and revolution really in the way that people are looking to their food to appeal to those people who are, you know, the traditionalist who don't, who are, you know, really putting down the whole vegan movement as well. So at the moment, veganism is still the counterculture. Mm. And, but every time I think that you see someone doing that, it's almost like, and every time you see that Facebook comment of, oh yeah, but you know, bacon or (laughs) something ridiculous to that extent is actually to me an example of now veganism rising and a cult, a counterculture emerging where people feel the need to stand against it, which actually shows massive progress. If you weren't making impact, people wouldn't feel the need to develop a counterculture. In a way, it's weird with climate because I don't think we're seeing that yet. And I think it's because, maybe it's because of the personal impact. So even if you're a climate, you, there probably would be in climate deniers, but I suppose the climate denier circles are very small. So there's, I guess you've kind of got your, um, you know, your people who are very aware of climate change and who are advocating for it. You've got your, um, you've kind of got your climate, your people who are just apathetic to it mm-hmm. or like don't really feel, they're not necessarily denying it, but they're not advocating or identifying the problem. Yeah, that's probably more. And that's probably uh, more your bulk. common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your bulk of people. And then you've got your climate deniers who are in effect probably at this point now if you took the three and looked at them in terms of populations, they're probably the the minority mm-hmm. group there. So, yes, I'm sure there is some counterculture language within that, but from a business perspective, you'd be pushing yourself into a very intense niche to start playing on that. But if that becomes more and more, you know, if we now get these people who are in the middle, who are the people apathetic to climate change or just not really paying much attention to it, some of those will come over to the side of this is a severe issue and we need to address it. And some of them, maybe 10%, will start getting swayed over to the other side. And as we lose that group in the middle and we just get our kind of climate deniers and our climate activists, the climate denier group will increase and it will get bigger. It will still be a smaller proportion. And that's where we'll probably see more in that counterculture. That's where we'll see people making more of the climate denying t-shirts. And that's where effectively that's a business and they're capitalizing then on the counterculture against climate activism. Fascinating. So I want to, I had a thought here. So when we're looking at, you know, does a business have a responsibility to be sustainable or ethical and where does that line kind of get drawn? I think back to my original thought and how we kind of started this is, you know, we live in a capitalistic system. Yeah. Why does a, in my mind, it's something I think that it's very important we talk about and really solidify because, you know, when someone asks you something and it's like, 
yes, but it's like, but why? Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we have the conviction to know why. It's like, why does a business in the capitalistic system we have have some sort of responsibility to be sustainable or ethical when they realistically, based on the system of consumerism and capitalism, don't have to be? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I guess this is where greenwashing comes into things a lot because to an extent, why do they have a responsibility to do so? They don't. And I think that's kind of where you're sort of landing in your thinking around is the company. And remember as well, that a company is just a, a representation of a thing. A company is run by people. But if we look at the company itself, a company doesn't care. You know, a company is its own entity abstract of the people you know, mm-hmm. a company is a is just that entity and it itself doesn't care about sustainability or environmentalism mm-hmm. um, it cares about making money and sustaining itself it wants to see live to see another day it's the people who run the company that's where things get complicated you know we aren't we are emotional beings we aren't purely driven by the same needs as a company we feel personal responsibility now, in some cases, and this is where, and again, I'm not speaking for the people in the company, so maybe they actually do have that moral compass, but let's take H&M. There's a lot of advertising around H&M at the moment about mm-hmm. their sustainability. A conscious mm-hmm. label or whatever they call it. Yeah, and things like that. Now, is that because the people running the business feel the moral and ethical responsibility to do these things? Or is it because the company as a entity that wants to live to see another day knows that it needs to make a market shift to improve its profit margin and to improve its bottom line. And that's where greenwashing becomes a real challenge because going back to a question you actually asked earlier and I didn't, we went off on a tangent, but what, you know, allows a company to call itself sustainable and is it a destination or a journey? Mm -hmm. It's always a journey. It's like the reality is if you're producing a product and you're even mass producing, and I say mass producing as even you're making two, three hundred of them, it is not sustainable. And I have this dilemma myself. I wanted to create a vegan footwear brand that vegan people who want cool leather looking product Mm -hmm. have something to see as an aspirational clothing brand and they want to wear it. And it gives the community another alternative and another option. Also, I started it from the selfish reason that I didn't want to work my nine to five anymore. I wanted to run a business that was something I had an interest in and I thought was cool. And for me, that fits my personality. Does the world need it? Like, you know, there's a lot of shoes out there already. There's a lot of vintage stores with shoes sitting in them that we could go and buy. Like, you have to question that. But I know that I'm doing it from the view of the cooler I can make this business, the more appealing I can make it seem. I can get people to stop wearing leather. Like I love selling shoes to the vegan community. Like I love giving people what I wish I'd had and that's why I started it. What I love even more is someone who's like, oh, I've never bought a pair of vegan shoes before, but your brand looks sick. That's what for me is making an impact because that's a person who's now not supporting the leather industry. Exactly the same as soy milk, oat milk, almond milk. I don't care what milk people drink. If they're buying that and they're, going up against the dairy industry Mm -hmm. i'm all for that so sorry total tangent again no it's fine um but yeah coming around so it's like a company yeah so it's a hard differentiation where people are then 
using the conscious consumers transition to wanting more of that mm-hmm. and using it and like in H&M using it for that case it's like how much of it is the person at the forefront of that wanting to make that difference they're like I want people to wear more sustainable clothes I want people to wear more ethically produced clothes or is the business is something that wants to survive saying we need to do this because otherwise we're going to take a hit on the margins and that's the difference I guess between you know doing a sustainable or a ethical business for the right and the wrong reasons beauty if that was the original question i definitely yeah, went yeah. off on one 100 <laughs> so there's there's lots of ways a business can can run right when we're looking yeah. at like the ethical thing and the journey that they're doing i know for you guys i think if i remember correctly when i was reading on the website it's the no plastic packaging it's it's mm-hmm. using carbon neutral shipping route yeah. ra- companies i suppose when you when someone's like okay so i've got X selection of companies that I can choose from to make mm-hmm. this purchase, whether it's a t-shirt or a shoe or I don't know, a microphone, whatever. Yeah. What's someone looking out for in terms of sustainability? Like what is the things that you want a company to tick, I suppose, to say with confidence that I'm making maybe not the best choice in terms of what's available in the world. Cause no one has all the research in the world to do that, but I'm making a choice that is better than H&M, for example? Yeah, I guess unconventionally, I'd, I'd flip that round. You're like, it's sometimes hard for me to answer that. Although I'm obviously a consumer of a lot of products, yeah. I'm creating one where I'm trying to fit that. What, what do you look for? What do I look for? Yeah. Uh, speci- I, at the moment, I'm looking for plastic-free packaging. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. And, you know, to go on a side rant, I had, a, I had a brand reach out to me mm-hmm. and they said, you know, we want to send you some products. And I'm like, no, no, thanks. Like, I really, I'm good. The, yeah. the products look cool. I personally wouldn't use them. But they're like, oh, no, you know, no obligation to post or anything. We just want to send you some products. I'm like, you know, whatever. I'll give them to my fiance or my mom or whatever. They can yeah. try it out. And I got this packaging from this like eco, healthy brand. And I open it up and I kid you not, just packing peanuts everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, who in the world is still using packing peanuts when you can get shredded newspapers for a fraction of the cost Yeah. and it's recycling and it's an ethical thing. So that's the first thing I look for. Mm-hmm. The second thing I look for, price is way, way down on the yeah. line. So I'm, I make that conscious choice that if I want to make a sustainable purchase, I'm aware that I might have to spend a bit more money. Yeah. And that's like you said, you know, Doc Martens might be cheaper than that shoe, might be more but you're making that conscious decision like this is this works with my values mm-hmm. so i'm going to put value my values over the price i'm willing to pay yeah so that's a driver uh look vegan is is probably on par with the plastic free packaging obviously not purchasing anything that's got animal derivatives or anything of that nature be it leather or milk or whatever that may be um the the one of the last things i look at is like what you offer, like the carbon neutral shipping. Mm. I, I look at that, but I'm also conscious that not a lot of brands have access to that at the moment. And I'm not in the business. Well, I don't know how many brands actually could implement that for not too much harm on their bottom line. Like yeah. I always rant on cafes, not offering biodegradable or compostable cups because I know that to their bottom line, it's only an extra two cents per cup. So it's yeah. not going to kill them. 
And I know that for a fact because I knew someone in the cup industry, I suppose, that sold that. So I knew the profit margins and how it could impact. I don't know how carbon neutral shipping impacts a company's profit margin. I, but but I don't I don't even know how much plastic free packaging impacts a company's bottom margin. But I probably wouldn't make a purchase if I knew that in, it includes plastic packaging. I'd get it in person. And even when you get it in person, it's getting to that warehouse or that spot in plastic. So I know there's no avoiding that. But if a company has that, that puts them way above the line for me. But I think the biggest two to kind of sum this thought up is plastic-free packaging and it's got, it's got to be vegan. Yeah. See, it's, it's super interesting. And look, this is carbon-neutral shipping is that we use, we use Sendal, which is a courier company. Sendal. Sendal. It's just a courier company and we use them for shipping. Mm. And they're a carbon. So they basically offset their carbon for shipping. Do you know how they do that? Um, it's most, I think a lot of it is through by essentially carbon credits and carbon sequestration. Yep. sequestration. Yeah. Always get I'm, s- I'm still I'm still up in the air with that as well. Because I know that with some companies, for example, oil companies, hugely, hugely um into the scheme of we'll take out this much oil but we plant this many trees like does that really offset and so when it comes to career companies i know that that's one of the things they would do is it the lesser evil yes 100 percent. is it perfect no absolutely not can it be perfect uh, maybe not yet that's it and i think so so in terms of that is yes we offer it as a thing but honestly, like, you know, we, we say that on the website and that is because... And do you know how much, sorry, do you know how much extra that costs as opposed to using one that doesn't? I think it's like um, 10 cents per shipment that oh, we do. It's that's crazy. Absolutely marginal. That that shipment to to like a customer, 10 yes. cents. <sighs> okay. So, but it's, um, but exactly as you say though is, and this is, look, this is honestly one of those gray areas, you know, you call, pulled out about the carbon neutral shipping because it is, we are not, you know, we do it through that courier company. Mm-hmm. We pay the extra 10 cents. Mm-hmm. We do carbon neutral shipping. So for us, we pull that out as a, I wouldn't say as a selling point, but it's a reinforcement of like us taking that step or like being conscious in our decisions. Interestingly, I mean, we use biodegradable um, mailer bags for our for our shipping. So, you know, let's say you buy a pair of shoes from us. It will come in a cardboard box which is then, which has got paper inside of the box to wrap the shoes themselves. Mm-hmm. It comes in a biodegradable mailer bag and it is because we have to tape it because it's a bit loose and stuff like that. It has biodegradable tape. How, what, when we're talking about biodegradability, is something I learned way too much about, but is it commercially biodegradable or home or how do you work it's that out? home compostable biodegradable. Okay. But the reality is if if I looked over all of the products we'd sold today and I emailed every person on our database and said, hey, did you chuck your mailer in the bin or did you compost it? Like, or did mm-hmm. you, you know, did you do it? 99% of people threw it in the bin. Yeah. I, I would assume. Yeah. I'd like to think not. But the reality is, is a lot of people aren't going, oh, this is a home biodegradable compostable mailer. I'm going to go and put that in my <laughs> thing. So... So we can sit there and say, hey, we use biodegradable mailers, but has it actually made a difference? Mm. It's a, you know, it's a tough one in that. Now, when we get things shipped to us from our manufacturer and we get like, you know, a couple of hundred pairs of jeans shipped to us or something like that, we make a point of saying we don't want things individually plastic wrapped when they come to us because in 
by default, most manufacturers will send you each product in an individual plastic mm-hmm. like see-through yeah. bag. And sometimes you'll order clothing and you'll get it in those bags. Sometimes they're branded, sometimes they're blank, mm-hmm. like whatever. We don't do that because I think, geez, if we've got like a thousand units of product on our shelves and that's a thousand little plastic bags, like I'm not, I'm not cool with that. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But we're shipping things like, you know, we're still sea freighting things around the world. We're still having an environmental impact. So it's just minimization along the way. And in terms of what customers want, it's a hard one because, I mean, we've had this discussion is you can get, again, biodegradable individual mailer bags. Should we put our clothing in those? Do people want, if people are paying $300 for a jacket, you know, because we're aware as well, we're at a more premium price point. If we just put the jacket into a mailer bag and send it to you, do you feel like you've got good value? Or if we sent it to you then in a branded internal mailer bag and it had like a sticker and a couple of flight and, you know, other things as well, which are effectively going in the bin Mm -hmm. and it had more tags on it and it had one of those nice tags on it that's got like the plastic sheen over the top of it so that you're like, oh, I've just bought this jacket. This feels premium. Like I'm justified in my purchase. Where do you draw the line? Because for some people they're like, man, this just arrived in a bag and, you know, versus some people would open it with all the bells and whistles and be like, what a wasteful way to send me my packaging with all the packing peanuts. Mm. So it's really hard. We just have to somewhat assume that our community and our buyers or our, you know, our customers are a little bit more aware that if we're sending it lean and without all the stuff, it's because we're just trying to minimize wastage as much as we can whenever we send out product. With the biodegradable bag, is it possible to include something like a note, like this is how you remove or, or com- I guess compost this correctly? Because I think a lot of people, the reason you harped on it, just in case anyone missed it, is if you throw even a head of lettuce into the landfill, it could take years to decompose because there's not enough oxygen and certain microbes available there. So just like compostable and biodegradable bags, if you throw them at the landfill um, or even recycling in some cases, it couldn't, it again, could take years, years to decompose as opposed to an industrial or uh, residential compost. That's it. Um, The bags themselves. So again, we we buy these bags off of a company called Hero Pack, which do a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff because they try and they're trying to make the industry more environmentally friendly as well. So the bag does it actually say, you know, it's home compostable. This is what to do with it. What we, you know, what we (laughs) funny one is like we, we include one postcard with an order. And again, that's because you'll get some things and you'll get the packing slip and you'll get a thing and you'll get a sticker and you'll get another thing. And you'll get a discount code and a referral code and all the other pieces of paper. We just include one where we'll do a little handwritten note and there's a QR code. So you can scan that, go on the website and get all of the information. Mm. Good idea to when you go on that, say, you know, thanks for purchasing. Here's all the information about returns and other stuff. And hey, did you know that you can home compost the packaging that we sent it to you in as well. Um, so like, that's totally something that we can add on to there. It's, you know, and it's things like that. And this is where we talk about responsibility and doing things for the right reasons. By us encouraging people to compost their mailer bags, we're not helping nor hindering our business. I mean, you could argue that someone like you would be like, this is cool. I like this brand because they're doing this. I would like to buy from them again. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it's not a selling point. It didn't help get you over the line because you didn't know it when you bought the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it certainly isn't hindering our business. It would take me five minutes after this podcast to go and chuck it up on the website and add a couple of sentences onto our page. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is something to be done because, hey, if that means that just a couple of extra people actually take the right steps to compost the mailer bags and they don't end up floating around in the ocean or like flying around and ending up in landfill, great. So that's like, it's a very small, mm. but a positive, you know, thing that we can do. And how much are we talking in terms of difference of price is like a biodegradable or compostable mailer bag compared to like petroleum based plastics? Um, it's, to be honest, I actually don't know because I've never looked at not getting a compostable biodegradable mailer bag. Um, that was at like... Because it wasn't in question. What a funny it wasn't a frame. Yeah, that's that's a cool perspective. Because you don't usually it's like we went this, we wanted to make more sustainable choices, so then we switched to X. Yeah, like that's that's not how. And look, this is the thing with a lot of. And I guess we're actually focusing on um, you know the the mailer bags. <laughs> yeah. So like you can insert your ad here for Hero Pack mailer bags because they're great. Um, but it's a more to the point thing is the clothing itself. So the clothing that we make, um, we it is we don't say it's sustainable. Uh, to be fair, there is probably you'd probably find somewhere on our website that says we make sustainable clothing. But to be honest, that's probably just because it's been there a while. We're actually very cautious about claiming to be sustainable because going back to what you're saying earlier, where's that line? How do you actually define that? It's it's not a clearly definable trait. Like, are Patagonia, um, are Patagonia sustainable? You can say they're more sustainable than H&M, and I'm sure there's lots of evidence to prove that point, but can you call them flat out sustainable? That totally depends. It's subjective. Mm. What do you um, think businesses should use instead? Like, we have these sustainability traits. What, what, what kind of wording would you suggest? Um, I think environmentally conscious. I always think conscious is to me a great word because it actually does stand for a lot. Um, but at the same time, it's it's a little bit of a, not a get out, but it's a, um, it's an acknowledgement that you're conscious of it, but you're not perfect. Um, so as a brand, we are environmentally conscious. We are not sustainable. There's very little that is truly sustainable. And you know, if you looked at the definition of fully sustainable, um, it would be more around something that, you know, by by creating it or by taking it, something else can take its place. You're not you're not taking without giving back. Mm-hmm. Now, us using so in our clothing, our environmentally conscious clothing, mm-hmm. um, we would say, you know, we use hemp materials, we use organic cotton, we mm-hmm. use recycled materials. So for our, we've got a bomber jacket, for example, um, really cool piece. It's like our kind of statement piece in the range at the moment. People love it. It's great. We're really proud of it. Now it's, um, the color of it, it's kind of got a leather look collar and that's made from cactus leather. And that's mm-hmm. like a real shout out, especially for, for people who are vegan. It's like, oh, it's cool. It's cactus leather. That is like a more progressive material. It's got a really good leather vibe. Like that's great. That's a selling point of it. Um, the rest of the jacket is 100% recycled materials. So the shell of... What does that exactly mean? Yeah, so it means that it's basically from broken down and re-spun re material. So if we use a 
if we use a recycled polyester, which the outer is made of, then it's basically lots of polyester textile is broken down. And to be honest, the process of it, I'm not 100% sure of how it's achieved, but it's taken from materials that were previously, you know, the materials are not freshly made. They're not virgin So it's materials. like H&M have this thing where you can donate your garments. Yeah. So you'd send it there. They'd somehow unstring or unthread the top yeah. or something and then just re... Okay. And, that, and then they basically reconstruct that into another reel because everything just comes from reels of fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is, go- so <laughs> this is where you'll get me in like a little bit more out of my depth because I'm not the fashion designer. That's what I've got a co-founder for. Like I'm the business side of things. Yeah. Um, so this is where I'm... You know, I talked quite top level about it and she'll do a lot more of the digging. Um, but you effectively have, you know, when you're creating a jacket and you, or less, even a t-shirt, you want it to be made from cotton. Cotton is, cotton's an easier one to, I think, visualize as well. You basically just have a big reel, a big reel of fabric. Um, and, you know, that'll get laid out and the pattern of the shirt for like the different parts of it will be drawn out on the fabric and it will be cut out and then it will be sewn together Um, those reels of fabric are either going to be taken from cotton that's been picked you know from fields or like harvested from fields and then spun into yarn and gives you like reels of cotton basically or it's going to have come from other cotton that goes through like a bleaching and like the basically the regenerative process Mm -hmm. of it of taking cotton and turning it again back into these reels to be used again. And the same thing happens in different kinds of fabrics. Um, so we use recycled fabrics for like our jacket. So everything from the lining, the outer of it, um, even the wadding is from this material that comes from like recycled, like recycled paint tins where they then some, by some magic of technology, turn it into like wadding for inside of jackets. Like we use all of these materials because we're, using recycled materials because it's more environmentally friendly Mm -hmm. and it costs a lot more so this is where you say like how much more does it cost to send something how much more does it cost for the mailer bag to do a jacket from recycled materials probably costs three times more for the actual cost price than if we did it from fresh materials because it's gone through a process and it's actually harder to obtain the material Mm. but we would rather use that same as in our denim 45 percent of the cotton in our denim is recycled materials and that makes it exponentially more expensive to produce. But for us, it's like if we're going to be putting more clothes into the world and we're going to be encouraging people to buy a pair of our mm-hmm. jeans and not going into a vintage store and buying a pair of yeah. vintage Levi's. But make sure you're not part of the problem. You're, yeah. That's it. So are we, and that's a really interesting one is like not part of the problem. Are we part, so a question I'll ask, you know, I often ask myself is, are we then part of the problem or part of the solution? Mm-hmm. Well, we're part of the problem because we're still creating clothing and we're still shipping it around the world and we're still doing all of this stuff. But are we part of the solution because we're making people now think, oh, there's a business here that does it more ethically, that does use recycled materials, that makes a point of that, explains to me why that's beneficial so we're actually educating people to now not support brands that don't care at all. So we're a little bit of the problem. We're also a little bit of the solution. And it's finding that happy medium where, you know, you can be a sustainable, sustainable business.
Mm, I love that. And I think what's really cool, and I know your, your background is marketing. I'm, I'm in it as well. I find that being sustainable is a good marketing lever, le- lever because yeah. there are, I feel, people out there that will really love to tout your product, like the word of mouth kind of thing. Like yeah. I don't want to pin it as like some sort of superiority thing, but an example I use is the shoes that I wear a lot are my my Vivo barefoot shoes, mm-hmm. and they're made from plastic bottles salvaged from the ocean, yeah. as well as old Vivo shoes. Yeah. And I, I can't remember how much I paid for it, but it was about $220 for these yeah. pair of shoes. And it's flat feet shoes. There's no support. There's limited <laughs> materials there. But you pay this money and I'm like, man, I'm so proud of these shoes. But I feel like as a human, you're like, I'm proud that I made this purchase because in the past I wouldn't have cared. But now I've brought something into my life that I agree with. And so as a brand and as a company, whether you're in fashion or or someone, you know, that person who just shop goes to this cafe or just goes to this restaurant or whatever it is, it's like you have this marketing and this is where it comes to business. You need to have that profitability and to have profitability, you have to have a, a custom audience and, and a, an avatar. It's like your avatars would be so proud to support your products. So it's like that 3x cost of I could have just walked into Kmart or H&M and got shoes yeah. for $20, if that. And that's a many X over in cost, but that the experience is so different. Like yeah. it, of buying a jacket that is made from like recycled materials compared to a jacket that's come from God knows which slave factory, etc. And, and I find it fascinating how that is almost like a way of marketing and doing branding that is for sure. I mean, we had we had someone email us the other day, and they got their um, you know they got their shoes through the mail, and they sent us an email to say, "I love what you're doing. Um, I think they work for a brewery." Um, and they're like, "Do you guys do you guys drink beer? I'd love to send you a crate of beer." Oh, that's gangster. So, and it's like, no, <laughs> nobody. Well, I don't think. I mean, maybe somewhere out there, but. Are people buying something from H H&M? and And I feel like we've absolutely destroyed. Like H H&M and M have oh, become sorry, the H&M. poster child. Sorry, yeah, sorry H well, you know H&M, but not, no, also they not kind sorry. Of deserve you know? it a little bit only because they're so big and they have so many resources. They could be doing so much more. They could be, and it's like. Um, but I'll get to. I'm sure I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but like you know, this guy saying his beers is because he respects what we're doing, and that is, mm. you know, that is so awesome for us to get that as well because. To me, that's like people buying our product reinforces that we did find a we did find a market. You know, we did find mm-hmm. a, a gap in the market, and we are able to scale and um, you know produce a brand and produce product. And that's a terrifying thing to like you know put all of mm-hmm. your savings into and bootstrap and quit your job for. So yep. it's great when people buy stuff. Please buy stuff. Go on the website noskin.co. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave that in there. Just <laughs> you can only do it the one time. Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> no, but um. But for someone to come along and, you know, say, oh, I'd like to send you guys a slab of beer. Yeah. It's like, oh, you, you get it. Like the, the person I saw it or like you say about customer avatar, obviously we did some market research. We did do that stage, but I'm the customer avatar. And that's, that was the whole point is I'm missing something that I want and I'm going to produce that because I'm pretty sure there's other people who feel that way as well. Sometimes that's a really risky to start way to start a business. Sometimes that's the absolute best way to start it. 
but someone being like, I'm stoked that you're doing this for like the vegan community and I really love your product. I'd like to send you guys some beers. It's like, I was right. There are other people. He gets it. Like for someone to value what you're doing in that mm. way, that they want to reciprocate, not just by buying from you, but then give you something on top of that. Mm. Um, that reinforces that it's like, you get it. You get why we're here. And we have served that. We've served more than a need of providing a product to someone who needs a product. We've provided that space in the culture and the community for someone like to have that. So that's really, you know, I think that's the point of difference as well in, in what you can achieve. We're never going to make the kind of money that H&M make. I mean, we're not going to make in our lifetime as a brand, I would expect the money that H&M probably make in an hour. <laughs> but mm, like, very true. But to know that we're having an impact on people of that sort of next level is really, really satisfying as well. Do you have any thoughts to someone who is considering, I don't know, maybe maybe do you have some thoughts overall? As So we've talked quite a lot about a lot of things mm. over the course of the last 50 minutes or so. Is there any high-level things that you've been thinking about over the past, I think it's been like a year and a half since No Skin was... Yeah. originally i guess a thought bubble yeah what have you learned that's like a huge lesson maybe for someone looking to create their idea and make it as ethical and sustainable as possible um i think in a way it's keep it simple um keep it simple the, stupid yeah. kiss that's it keep it simple stupid like the keeping it simple is really important because when you're creating anything especially a product and you're starting off as well if some you know put it this way is one of the most dangerous things you can do is ask your community what what they want or ask your customers what they want obviously it seems like a great thing to do is hey we're looking at designing new products what do you want but people come along and they'll give you 50 different answers and when you're a growing business or you're just starting things out, you desperately need money and sales to survive another week and to make your impact. Like otherwise, you know, you close the doors and what impact are you making if your business goes out of business? So you see that there's 50 people out there who want 50 things and you're like, oh man, if we made all those 50 things, we'd sell to everybody. But there's a lot of downsides to that. One is people don't do what they say. What is it? I think it's... um. People don't say what they think. They don't do what they say. So you end up in the situation where, you know, they've asked for these things, but they don't actually want them anyway. Mm. Um, you then try and go too wide and too broad and try and do a bit of everything. And that's just bad business. Straight away there, we've just capped on something that is my bit of business advice here is to not do that. It's not try and be everything to everyone. Now, if you're doing an ethical and sustainable business, take that point and double it. Because now what happens is you're, putting in you know more manufacturing you're putting in more shipping you're putting in more creation you're getting more stock on the shelves and things like that that may not work and may not move and you, you need to do something with that the worst thing for a sustainable fashion brand or a sustainable product brand or a brand who are trying to be environmentally conscious mm -hmm. is to be left with stuff on the shelves like what good is it if we used a home compostable mailer and carbon neutral shipping if we made X number of products and then at the end of it, the business shuts down and we've still got 200 of them sitting on the shelf and we have to now figure out what to do with that and 
realistically put that into either textile waste or into landfill or something mm-hmm. like that you've completely undone all of the good so keep it simple and start with one thing that you've got more control over um and scale it cautiously um what can you what do you mean scale cautiously i guess scale cautiously in terms of and i'm talking from experience here because this is something that we've you know we found a challenge of and that's where all the good insight comes from is your own mistakes um you know we've we've branched out into lots of avenues of and i say lots it's still not lots compared to most clothing brands but we'll do shoes and we've got denim and we've got jackets and we've got like button-up shirting and things like that um and we were just about to pull the trigger on more stuff for next winter whilst we still got a lot of this stuff to sell mm-hmm. and that was where we caught ourselves and we're like hang on yes the customer you know and this comes into marketing really that you know you want your customer who you've spent money in marketing to acquire to buy from you again so you need to make more mm-hmm. product that's that's essentially the fast fashion model and you very quickly find yourself almost accidentally falling into that cycle fascinating so it's like wait before we literally i mean we're about to like send the email to say yep yeah, place the order on all this new stuff it's like wait we don't need to do that the whole point here is we can actually sell less things and target it more to our audience. We don't need to just now this, now this, now this. It's that attention and like, you know, focus being lost. The spring, spring sale starts, winter clearance. Exactly. And, then yeah. it's, and that is the thing that was, we always said um, our brand is for a lifetime, not a season. We don't release seasonal products. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was all good and well when we weren't making any money. As soon as you start making some money, and as soon as you then increase your overheads and you increase your financial responsibilities, when you start seeing things drop down and you need to find ways to like sell more, basically, you start falling into, and I say they're traps, they're not traps, they're things that work. It's why the fashion industry operates in the way it does is because yeah. it works. It's how these businesses grow and make money. So it's like now, you know, it's finding that line of, where do we just go, all right, well, this is how it works. This is how we have to do it versus sticking to your guns. So my main advice to someone who wants to start something, but they want to do it with purpose is to take one thing and do it exceptionally well. You can scale a million dollar business from one product. And in fact, that is the way that you should scale a million dollar business. And I used to think, oh, is that really possible in fashion though, because of these cycles? Doc Martens have been selling that one boot for 60 years. It's possible. Yep. Like, and tra- they've got like a $1.6 billion valuation. You can make a million bucks off of one product. And then you don't overextend yourself. You don't overextend the market. You don't overextend your environmental impact. Um, keep it simple. Beautiful. What a lovely way to round out this conversation. Thank you so much, Tony, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. I hope that... Someone has got something out of this, um, especially when it comes to ethical business models. I think it's a very important conversation. And the one thing that makes me think of this conversation is also important to um, really vote with your dollar. It's really important that companies know what we want as consumers. Um, Because like you said, if you survey people, what products do you want? You could also survey them what what features, what what, um. Not features aren't the words, but like what things should we do more as a company and just yeah. message companies and say, you know, why aren't you donating more to more of your profits to charity? Why don't you have carbon neutral shipping? It's like what I do with cafes and restaurants. If I know they don't have a vegan option, I'm going to message them. Hey, what vegan options do you have? It's just the little things to yeah. know that 
hey, we as consumers have an expectation of you to make sure that this world that we're living in can last a little bit longer or us as a race can last a bit longer on this planet. Absolutely. And the same applies, just to close out, like the same applies in lots of ways of being more progressive and taking things forward. And it does get listened to. I think this is exactly the point is contact people. We are a unisex clothing brand. Um, and we had a thing on our site that was like, you know, these jeans are suitable for men and women. And somebody wrote to us and said, you know, you're, you're doing a great thing by being a unisex brand, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you just didn't use the phrase for men and women, then you would be completely inclusive there. And I was like, Oh, what an obvious point. Like if I just said these clothes are suitable for everyone, then I've not excluded anybody from that statement. Mm-hmm. So I jumped straight on the website and changed that. And, you know, for a lot of people, they'll be listening and think, oh, did someone really pick up on that? Did someone really notice that? Someone did and enough to message us, which means that there were 30 or 50 or 100 people who also noticed that and didn't think to message us. Mm-hmm. One person took the initiative and they sent the message. And, you know, we made a, a tiny improvement in the way that we speak on our website and the way that we include more people into our brand, which is good for business anyway. Like, mm. you know, it's pretty much someone else doing the job of managing the website. Exactly. Like, you know, so that's it is if you've got, you know, if you've got something you'd like to see from a company, reach out to them because especially if it's a low cost, easy change, mm. your voice speaking up represents, a, depending on the size of the brand as well, represents a hundred quiet people as well. And brands are aware of that. So it, it always, it gets heard and it's always worth doing. You had to leave a little bit of more extra wisdom before we finish up the episode, didn't you? <laughs> Well, you set me up for that one. I did, I did. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Look, thank you again, Tony. And thank you for everyone listening. And I'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Hi there. Welcome to the end of the episode. Thank you again, Tony, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. For anyone who wants to reach out to him, I'll leave all the links to do so in the show notes below. The best way to help out and share the good plant-based message that we're providing here is by sharing this episode and conversation with a friend, family member, and colleague. And if you have an extra minute or two, leaving a five-star review goes a really long way. With all that being said, that is all for the episode. I'll see you all on next week's conversation. Stay happy, eat plants, peace.